This is Transistor.fm. In November of 2012, I traveled to the 37 Signals office in Chicago. And that's where I got to meet David Hannemeyer Hansen for the first time. I remember thinking, man, he's a lot taller than I thought he'd be. He seemed over six feet. But when I asked him about it later, he said he's only five foot eleven. I guess everyone seems taller when you're my height. I'm, I'm only five foot eight. Anyway, I, I've kept in touch with David over the years, and we'd been planning on doing an interview for a while now. It finally happened this past week, and it's a pretty personal interview. I talked to David about growing up in Copenhagen, whether he's always been into programming, and how he met Jason Fried. This is part one of our chat here on Product People. Before we get going with the show, let me tell you about a few of my favorite sponsors. Are you creating an application that needs a chart or dashboard? Fusion Charts is a JavaScript charting solution trusted by over 450,000 developers around the world. They have tons of interactive and animated charts with advanced features like tooltips, drill downs, chart export, and zoom. Their charts also work across PCs, Macs, iPads, iPhones, and Android devices. You can download a free trial at FusionCharts.com. And Sprintly is perfect software for teams of three or more people. It's the easiest way for managers and developers to track the software development process. You and your team can try Sprintly for free. Go to www.sprint.ly. Once you sign up for a billing plan, use my coupon code PRODUCTPEOPLETV2013 to get 10% off. Hi, I'm Justin, and this is Product People, the podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. And this week, I'm joined by a man who isn't afraid to speak his mind and who drives race cars on the weekend, David Hannemeyer Hansen of 37 Signals. David, thanks for taking the time to chat today. I'm glad to be here. Right on. And, and you're, you were just telling me before the call that uh, you were in Spain for a while, and now you're back in Chicago. Yes, uh, we, we jump back and forth uh, a bit, but uh, right now Chicago is beautiful here in September. The weather's nice, so uh, it's, uh, it's a good time to be back. Now, I, I've heard you say, because at times you've, you've talked really favorably about Chicago. What, what is it you like about Chicago, the city? It really is just a, a great city. I mean, it's got great neighborhoods. There's a lot of character to the different parts of the, of the city, and everything is just so reachable. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're not traveling straight in, in rush hour, you can get anywhere in, in, in not very much time at all. And uh, it's just a, it's a great place to, to be and to live if you, if you want to be in the city. Uh, I live in something called Wicker Park, which is um, just a, a fun neighborhood to see. I came here, what, eight years ago. It's just been fun to watch the evolution of the, of the neighborhood over, over those past eight years. And uh, Having access to all the great facilities of Chicago, the city, it's a, it's a great place to be. Yeah. And, and tell me about where you grew up. Did you bro- grow up in a, a big city? I grew up in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. So, I mean, about a million, two people or something there, um, which I guess is somewhat of a sizable city, certainly not Chicago, but um, it's, 
nice place as well. I, I, I enjoyed the 25 years that I spent there, but uh, after that, I was also ready to, to see something else. Um, I think you need a special disposition to staying both Copenhagen and actually to some degree Chicago as well during uh, the winter that I've come to realize I don't really have. <laughs> so now that I have the option of, um, of picking the place I want to live, um, neither city are really a good fit for me during the winter. I'm, I'm much more of a um, 80s and sunny kind of person. Yeah, yeah. And is that something, like, do a lot of people at 37 Signals take advantage of that? Are there other people taking advantage of warmer climates? Uh, because you, you guys do have that kind of distributed culture there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we have about a fourth of the people in Chicago, and then the rest are spread out all over the place. And we have quite a few people who've moved around a lot. Um, Jeremy Kember, who's also on the Rails core team, I think has lived in like four or five different cities during the time that he has uh, been with 37 Signals. And uh, most of that time he's spent on the West Coast in nice warm climates. And one of our support people, Kristen, just moved from Chicago to Portland. So we definitely do have people who take advantage of just the ability to work from wherever you want to live, which is, I think, one of those great benefits of remote working is that um, you can choose to live exactly where you want to, and, and it doesn't really matter. I don't really drop a beat in terms of my involvement with 37 Signals when I'm in Spain or when I'm in Chicago or when I'm traveling wherever. And um, it's just a, just like a, a great leap of progress for the, um, the working people of the world. And I, I say that somewhat just people who are still staying active and, and involved with their companies. Uh, this used to be the domain of either old people who retired or people who were so ludicrously rich and, and didn't want to work anymore that they could um, live wherever they pleased. But uh, now that luxury is accessible to a far larger percentage of the population, and I think that's just... That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed any other benefit of being in a, a different city? Like, does sometimes a different place uh, inspire you differently or, uh, in, you know, give you something extra that you might not have had if you'd stayed, you know, where the head office is? Sure. I think actually, for me personally, it's great to not be in the same city as everybody else. I find that I do my best work in solitude most of the time. I love the bursts, the short bursts of high bandwidth collaboration. I love when we do our meetups here in Chicago about twice a year. I love other sort of avenues of short bursts of that stuff. But um, otherwise, I like working in solitude, isolation, and quiet. <laughs> and uh, that's why when, when we're not here in Chicago, we live in places that are don't have a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least right around where we live, both in, in Spain and, and when we're in, in California, it's not in the middle of a city. It's not in the middle of a buzzing thing. It's it's right. It's out somewhere where there's not a lot of people around and we can just uh, relax and, and I can focus. I The upcoming book that we have, um, Remote Office Not Required, I wrote 95% uh, of that while I was in, uh, while I was in Spain. Wow. I think that's, and not only did I write 95% of it while I was in Spain, I wrote it over a course of maybe uh, two months. And I think that that focus is, um, 
it's very easy to discount because people have a tendency to overemphasize the benefits of collaboration in my mind. Uh, collaboration is great. It's just that it's, it's overused as a tool of um, doing great things in my mind. Mm-hmm. We, we just did a, a self-publishing, uh, a couple of self-publishing ep- episodes a while back. What's your process for writing? Do you set like a, a daily, uh, you, you know, word count a day or how, how do you get into writing and hammer out that much work? To me, the most important thing for writing is to have something to say. So after we published a rework, the publisher was quickly eager for us to do another book. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have anything to say. So that, um, that makes it hard. Uh, I mean, for me, remote at the time where I wrote the book, um, I wrote it together with Jason, but the, the time where I spiked out the book, which was actually what we did, I, I started by spiking out, I think, maybe 20 essays to just get a feel for the material. Was there enough here for a book? Mm-hmm. Um, I just I had all these thoughts about it because I'd already been in conversation with people about remote work. I, I felt like we had a good inventory of arguments and, uh, and we had been living the remote work style for a good decade or so. So I already knew all the things. It was just about transcribing um, insights, experiences, and observations that we had accumulated into a book. And for me, I do that best in um, rapid production. So I would write maybe three, four essays a day Hmm. um, and just really just churn it out um, as fast as I could. I, I have a tendency, I mean, some, maybe some ADD, but I get easily bored. Mm-hmm. So uh, the only way I was going to finish a book was to sprint through it. I would never, ever have the patience to write a book over the course of nine months, a year, multiple years. Um, I just uh, I get bored too quickly. So to ensure that I would not get bored, I made it basically my prime objective for work. For, for those good two months, that was the bulk of the work that I did. I didn't do a ton of programming in that time, um, and I just did just enough work with 37 Signals to to keep everything running smoothly and weigh in on the things I needed to weigh in on, but otherwise just focused on um, churning this book out in, in the fastest amount of time. And that has a sort of somewhat of a negative connotation on you. you say churn out, you think um, people are just like phoning it in or, or not putting insider or care into the material when when that is quite the obvious that I've been working on this book for the past 10 years in terms of uh, forming the ideas and and gathering the experiences. So when it came to just recording it it all, the best strategy for me was just to put on the turbocharger and um, get it done. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's one of my favorite essays from uh, Rework was that idea that inspiration is perishable. And if you don't jump on it right away, uh, you can lose that kind of drive to get it done. That is exactly it, because I have this with uh, blog posts all the all the time too. If I actually take the time to make a note that I want to write a blog post in the future, it will never get written. Mm-hmm. The only way I write blog posts is by having the inspiration to do it and then committing to do it, doing it within the next fifteen minutes. Um, Pretty much all the blog posts that I've posted uh, follow that pattern. There are extremely few of them where I've um, 
sort of just let like took a bunch of notes and just let it sit there. It, that generally doesn't work for me. And it was the same thing with remote. When we committed to writing the book, the inspiration was there. I wanted the book published, so um, we just churned through it and, and got it done. Yeah, yeah, I find that too. Where were you always? Because now professionally, you're kind of known for three things. You're you're known for Ruby on Rails, the the framework for for Ruby. You're known for your business, Thirty Seven Signals, that you co-founded with Jason Freed, and you're known for writing. Were were those things that you were always into when you were a kid? Were you a kid that was programming and writing and uh, into business? All, all all of the above. I mean, I was interested in in computer games, so I love gaming. Uh, I loved writing uh, too because it wasn't so much that perhaps I initially loved writing myself. I just loved good writing. I subscribed to a uh, magazine called Edge, which is a, a British um, computer game magazine that I just thought had amazing writing. And that, in large part, inspired me to, to do this website because I wanted to do some of that. Uh, I wanted to, to be part of that. Um, so that is how it's gone with, with a lot of these things, that, that I, just, I get inspired by something or, or someone and think, hey, I want to do that too, mm-hmm. and figure out how to learn as much as I can about the domain, and then and figure out how to get to that point of, of wherever or whatever it is that I um, I pick as an idol. Yeah, yeah. And how did how did you end up meeting your co-founder Jason Freed? Sure. So in I think two thousand and one, Jason wrote a blog post on Signal versus Noise, the, the web blog of Thirty Seven Signals asking for advice about some bit of PHP programming. I should actually try to find that post. I, I bet we still have it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he wrote this post up. Uh, I forget what it is. I, I think it was about pagination or something and how to do that. I'd been following 37 Signals, the uh, company, for a couple of years by then. I just loved the aesthetic of what Jason and the others at 37 Signals were doing. It was just so the opposite of what everybody else were doing back in 99, 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. when, uh, when everybody had flash, splash screens and all that stupid shit. Yeah, um, and, and this, they were a web design agency at the time. Yep, a web design agency at the time. And, and Jason was just sort of branching out a little bit. He had already done some software uh, back in the 90s, I think for, I forget which platform, oh, for the Mac, like FileMaker Pro software. Mm-hmm. So... He was putting this app together himself called um, Single File, which was an app to keep track of your books. And he, he was learning PHP to, to make it happen. And so he wrote this blog post up. And I, I was just sitting there in Copenhagen, Denmark, um, a fan of the company. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I know the answer to that one. <laughs> so I just sent him an email. Uh, we got talking and traded a bunch of emails back and forth. And, and in the end... Um, as the story now goes, uh, he thought it was easier to just hire me than to learn how to program. And I got started uh, working for Jason. Actually, I think when I first got started working for Jason, I'm not even sure it was through 37 Signals. I'm trying to remember whether Single File was actually a 37 Signals product or not, but I can't remember right now. Anyway, we got started working together in 2001. He was paying me $15 an hour, and I was getting it delivered in terms of Apple hardware, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny. 
Um, <laughs> so he, you, you would like accrue all the hours. Yes. And, and then you would tell him to ship you a computer. Yes, ex- pretty much. Because that was the, first of all, the dollar was worth a lot more back then than it is now. But, but secondly, the discrepancy in pricing between Apple goods here in the U.S. and, and Denmark was even higher. So for me, there was a great deal to get the maximum value out of this. So, so I got iPods and um, I got the Mac laptop and, and so forth over, over those years we're working together. Um, <laughs> anyway, that working relationship eventually uh, culminated in us starting Basecamp. We're starting to work on Basecamp in 2003 for release in 2004. And in 2005, I moved to the States, became a partner at 37 Signals and, um, and sort of you probably know the rest of the story from there. Well, this is how how do you get from working for Jason for fifteen dollars an hour to becoming his partner in when did you become his partner? In two thousand four? Two thousand five, the beginning of two thousand five. Two thousand five. Like that that's seems like an interesting transition because you were a fan of the company and yes. then you responded and then he hires you and so how did that happen? How how did you eventually become a partner? Sure. So we'd worked together for a couple of years doing a variety of client projects where Jason and, and the rest of 37 Signals would do the design and, and I would do the programming. Um, so I was already sort of the tech half of 37 Signals. Uh, when we created Basecamp, uh, that was even more so. It's It certainly, it was already a partnership, whether it was recognized as a legal fact or not, um, that was the setup. And I was just finishing up my, my bachelor's degree towards the end of 2005. And I basically just told Jason, well, uh, Ruby on Rails had launched at that time too. Um, so I, I told Jason that I'd love to continue working together, um, but I was going to be in this game in order to work for myself. I mean, I'd been running all these gaming websites, um, sort of minor businesses on my own. I was not about to start now to be an employee. I had a shorter stint at a couple of software companies in Denmark as an employee, and that never really worked out that well for either party. <laughs> so I knew that what I wanted to do was was to uh, work for myself. So I basically just told Jason, hey, let, let's continue working together, but it's going to require that I'm, I'm a partner in the business. Which was a lot easier sort of at that time. It's, it's, it's pretty tough to change the constitution of a business once there's like a big massive thing running. Mm-hmm. But uh, luckily for, I hope, both of us, there wasn't at the time. I mean, we had launched Basecamp, but I mean, it was only just covering the, the overhead. It wasn't exactly like we were turning out a lot of profit. So it was, I think, easier for Jason to basically see that I was accepting some risk. So he basically gave me three options. Either I'm going to pay you full market-ish salary, or I'm going to give you sort of half of a slice of equity and a reasonable salary, or I'm going to give you just a full slice of equity, but no salary. So you're going to have to take on the risk that we might not make any money this year, and, well, you're going to have to eat noodles. Yeah. So... Given the fact that I had no obligations and, and I was willing to take that risk um, in the beginning, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give this a shot. If, if all else fails, fails I, I guess I can just uh, 
go back and live off the uh, Danish uh, social security net. Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't going to be that bad, but um, anyway, so that was that was sort of the, the setup, and uh, that's how we got going. That's so funny because you know, I, I mean, a lot of people can't imagine Thirty Seven Signals not being profitable and not being a success. Well, the thing was, we were always profitable. I mean, it's all how do you define the measure of that profitability? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so we were profitable, but of course, it had nothing to do with the with the profits that supports a company of thirty eight today. I mean, mm-hmm. at the time, Thirty Seven Signals had two employees, um, Ryan and Matt, and then it had um, Jason as one of the partners, and I joined as the other partner. Right? So, yeah. I mean. Profitability basically just meant that we could pay the salaries of Ryan and Matt and that we could cover um, whatever expenses we had for, I think at that time we were subletting two or three desks in Chicago from Kudol Partners at like, I don't know, 500 bucks or $1,000 a month. So profitability is not that hard if, if that's your level of expenses. It's not like we had a headcount of 100 people or something silly like that. So mm-hmm. um I mean, that's uh, the sort of the modest beginnings of it. Yeah, I love hearing stuff like that, like little tidbits, like even you saying that you thought you were paying about five hundred or a thousand at at Kudo Partners for your office. I love hearing stuff like that because it it kind of brings some reality to the situation, you know. Uh, if anyone's like sees your office now, it's I've been there. It's beautiful. It's big, and you know, it, it just it looks impressive, but. Uh, and I mean, we we got that office what, two years ago, three years ago, mm-hmm. for the longest time. I mean, for a decade, thirty seven singles did start out with some office. Jason then realized, well, hey, we're three people. We don't need a fucking office. Mm-hmm. So let's just pull that down and just get a couple of desks subletted from somebody else who do need an office, so we can save a lot of money on that. And then for a long time, there just weren't more than four or five people in Chicago and we we hired people who just lived wherever so we just didn't need an office and it, it wasn't until basically I mean even today we don't need an office mm-hmm. uh, and in the average day I think maybe there are eight people in that office mm-hmm. um, what we bought was a luxury mm-hmm. a luxury that that we could afford at the time um, and I, I think that that's that's the history of 37 signals that we wait until we can afford nice shit yeah we don't buy it on credit up front we don't hire a bunch of people on credit up front we earn our way until we can pay for it directly and that's that's just been the ethos of the business and our of our business philosophy since um since the beginning which in any or in most other businesses would not be in any shape or form profound or even weird but somehow in the tech world it is yeah yeah and that's part one of my interview with dhh i like to keep these episodes about the length of the average commute so come back next week for part two where i ask david how he knew he could trust jason freed as a partner and how he felt when jason came to him with this idea of rebuilding base camp from scratch You can find David on Twitter at DHH, and be sure to check out his book that's coming out, Fall 2013. I think it just went, it just went to the publisher, didn't it? In two days, it's going to the publisher, so October 29th is actually the precise release date. October 29th, it's out, 37signals.com slash remote. 
Thanks again, David. Thank you. Let me also just share with you something one of our listeners is working on. You can follow at Topside Concepts on Twitter. What Randy is working on is a product that will help companies improve their service by prioritizing input from their customers. It's a really neat concept. You can check it out, www.topsideconcepts.com. And a big thanks again to our sponsors. They make this show possible. They help me pay for all the costs. Please go and check out FusionCharts.com. Fusion Charts is a JavaScript charting solution trusted by over 450,000 developers around the world. If you need charts, go and check out FusionCharts.com and Sprintly. Again, if you're looking to manage the software development process, Sprintly is the best way to do it. It gives a lot of insight for managers and developers into where people are stuck, what's being done, the overall velocity of the team. You and your team can try Sprintly for free. Go to www.sprint.ly. I'm Justin Jackson. You can follow me on Twitter at MIJustin.
Yeah. yeah. It's always hard to tell your first one. My, my wife and I have four, which, which I don't recommend. <laughs> but, but, but that, that is quite a clan. Oh, my goodness. It's usually my parenting advice is to stop it, too. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, our first, we, we just didn't get any sleep and we couldn't figure it out. And uh, then the second one, we realized uh, some of it's disposition and some of it depends on how you are as a first time parent. If you're, you know, anxious and trying to figure stuff out, it doesn't, uh, sometimes that affects sleeping and stuff too. Right. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. And how much, uh, how much time do you have today? Beautiful. And you've got uh, Dropbox syncing off and all that? Yep, there's, uh, there's nothing running. I should have a good connection here. I think I have like 25 megabit from this Comcast line. Perfect. Are, and you're at home right now? Yes. Cool. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.